Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. We are one church that meets in various locations across Greater Manchester. For more information about who we are and where we meet, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. A few years ago, I started to visit a church in New Hampshire, and that's on the eastern seaboard of the USA. I uh, got invited to preach uh, in a church, and eventually we went out and lived there for two years. But on my, one of my first visits there, um, the minister took me to the, one of the highest towers in Boston and uh, took me to the top of the Hancock Tower. And at the top of the Hancock Tower, only what the Americans would do, there was a reconstruction of Boston in miniature, and it was a reconstruction of what's called the Boston Tea Party. And anybody who knows what the Boston Tea Party is, basically, we were taxing the Americans for drinking or using and selling tea. And they basically, because they're a colony, and they basically took umbrage to this in such a way that it was the start of them saying, get lost, basically, uh, to us. So I had to sit and watch this uh, scaled-up reconstruction, brilliantly done, I may add, of us being starting to be thrown out <laughs> of the USA. And um, so that was kind of a few minutes of humiliation while the American just looked at me. <laughs> I, Italian-American, really dear friend was. Anyway, that was, that was quite fun. But then, it's like this panoramic view of Boston. And anybody who's been to Boston knows it's quite a contained city. You can actually see at a, at a height the whole of it. In fact, you can walk quite a lot around Boston. It's one of those cities, you know, you, can, you feel like you can, uh, you can grab hold of it. Not many big cities uh, uh, like that. And as I was looking out, and you can see Harvard University, and you can see the northern quarter, and the northern quarter there is where all the Italians, Mary, my wife's one of her favorite places to go, and to the pizza huts there, and the, um, Mike's pastries, actually you can tell you lots of these uh, different um, uh, places we used to visit. But I was looking out around here, and all the other parts of Boston, and started to pray, God, wouldn't it be Remarkable, because Boston, a bit like Europe, is quite a, a non-Christian place. It's you know you think of America as a lot, a lot of Christians, but actually on the northeastern seaport sea there, it's it's more European in lots of the ways um, that it is. And so, just praying, God, wouldn't it be great to have a whole network of churches planted around? And just I was just walking around praying, God, 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 God. Let's do something in this great city. And then I came back to the UK. That was just a, a little trip. And then met a young couple who were doing a, a gap year, a year team in the south of England, just at a prayer meeting, a young American couple I'd met once before. And uh, I, I, I said, what are you going to do? They said, we're going back to the States once we've had the year. Here, I said, what about going back to Boston? What about starting a church for us? They're just a young married couple in their 20s. And they just looked at me kind of like goggle-eyed, you know. What's it? I said, look, I'll fly in, I'll help you. I said, the deal is you take me to a Mexican restaurant each time. Um, well, I said, and they said, what do we do? I said, just open your home and, you know, just do something, just pray. And 
They were a lovely couple. Anyway, so they said, yeah, we'll do it. So basically, they went back, because we had a church an, an hour away that they could drive down to, that actually, when I went to pastor. So they, there were some connections there, just not leaving them on, the, on their own. But, um, and they started to build. Eventually, actually, they handed that over, moved to the Western Seaport, built a big church. Mary myself met them after many years in Cyprus this, this year. Just you know, lovely to catch up. And, uh, but what I realized for me is I kind of see two extremes. I kind of see the, the big picture and I see the little. So when we're starting in Denton, <laughs> Zoe and uh, Andy, you know, I can see them and then I'm thinking Denton, you know, so you kind of, I don't know why, I just have this kind of thing of being able to see small and big, you know, and actually kind of somehow join the two together and then hope that it makes it, <laughs> the, the dots join, join up. It's funny, we went to, a few of us from CCM went to well, a little place in the north of Manchester just for Christmas, there's a little church there that's basically dying, and uh, Avast, could we consider helping them, in fact we're sending preachers there now, and really should they become part of uh, CCM and uh, as we're praying I'm thinking God the whole of North and Manchester is what we really need and so I'm, I find myself praying in this little place and then people like Tim looking at me kind of goggle-eyed we're just praying for leadership here and I'm praying God give us a network of churches <laughs> for the north of the city and it's just I kind of think that way you know and uh, and I think that's why John's Gospel and the beginning of John's Gospel resonates with me because in the beginning of John's Gospel, we see the biggest, the biggest of the kind of theological spectrum and then we see the smallest. We see the big and we see the small. And we're going to have a, a series looking through John's Gospel and I'm starting on John chapter 1 and... Uh, and my kind of big and small pales into insignificance to what John describes here in 1 John. Because he starts in the first verse of John chapter 1 with the ultimate biggest. You can't think bigger than this. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him and nothing was created except through him. So here, here's John in his opening statement is talking about pre-creation. He's talking about the ultimate beginning. He's talking about the ultimate who created Everything. It's not talking about a city. It's not talking about northern part of a city. It's talking about everything. It's like there's nothing, nothing bigger than this. It's eternity. It's infinity. It's God. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the was. God was God. And then in verse 14, 
it goes to the ultimate smallest almost. It says this, so the word, <laughs> the eternal one, infinity, the ultimate, became human and made his home among us. The ultimate word, God, came into a womb of a woman. <laughs> came into the womb of a woman. Incarnated into the womb of a woman. And made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory the glory of the Father's one and only Son. What magnificence. From the ultimate. I, I, I can't even think of words. You know, sometimes you just, there isn't words to define, you know, God in infinity and in kind of eternity became a baby. Just massive and for John it took him post resurrection it took him over three years of being with Jesus all the time and then seeing him die raise and watching him be ascended to begin to grasp what he's just saying here and he wanted his readers to grasp it from get-go because he knew when you grasp this, then everything changes. When you grasp who God is, everything changes. See, when John eventually grasped the eternity, the infinity, the greatness, the glory of God, who became a baby, then at the name of Jesus, at the name of the word God, anything can happen. You see, when John was walking to the temple and there was a crippled man there from birth, him and Peter could say, we've got no cash, but in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. You see, the power in the name of Jesus, he understood now, could do anything. The power of God who became a man, who is now in heaven, all things are possible. He could stand in front of rulers who had killed Jesus, who had terrorised and were persecuting the young church. And he could preach to them. And he could say to the crowds, this Jesus is referred to in the scriptures. The stone that the builders rejected. That's what we've all done. That's what he was saying to the priests, to, to the people in Jerusalem. Has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we can be saved. You see, he, could, he, had, he had authority in his preaching. Because he knew who this Jesus was. The eternal one who became a man. Yeah, I mean, 
authority to heal the sick. Gave him authority to preach the gospel. And then when they were put in prison and they came out and they gathered a few people in a house to pray, just like we're doing on New Year's through January, they could pray this, stretch out your healing power, may miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And after this prayer, the place shook and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they preached the word of God with boldness. They're praying shook buildings. They're praying changed a city. They're praying eventually eradicated poverty from the Church of Jesus Christ in Jerusalem where there were tens of thousands of people, many from destitute and difficult backgrounds, widows, orphans, those without means of support. You see, because as they prayed and preached about this great Lord Jesus Christ, people like Barnabas who had land came and sold it and gave it to the poor. When anybody saw something in need, they just gave. We were praying for the poor in, on, in, in uh, the uh, Methodist Central on Friday. The, and uh, when you pray for the poor, you can feel like faith goes because poverty is all around you. But you know, when you start praying for a revival and the poor, suddenly you see people like Zacchaeus who was up a tree. <laughs> a rich man, far from God, finds the power and the salvation and the love of the Lord Jesus Christ and he gives everything away, everything away. In a moment, poverty is being alleviated because God has met a man who's hiding in a tree. This is our God. And that's what John wants us to understand. There's authority, there's power, there's mercy, there's love, there's grace, there's humility, there's passion, there's authority, there's greatness, there's majesty, there's glory. That's our God. Hey, I think I need to stop. <laughs> I need to stop because that's our God. All in all, everything in all. So let's just quickly go through what he wants to help us to see. He says this about the Word. The Word, first of all, as I've said, is Jesus. <laughs> so John wants us to understand that he uses this title of Jesus, this, this understanding of Jesus, the Word. And so what does he say about the Word? He says this, that the word, um, the word was with God and the word was God. Jesus, the word, is eternal. We've just had Christmas. We've celebrated the incarnation. We've celebrated God walking this earth. John wants us to grasp that our God... Our Jesus Christ is eternal from the beginning. The Word was with God and the Word was God and he existed in the beginning with God. 
So important that when we think of Jesus coming, it was not an afterthought. <laughs> it wasn't like, heck, things have gone wrong. Let's try and solve it. <laughs> Do you know? Let's kind of create a solution. Now, our Jesus was there at the beginning, before time, and was eternal. says that the word Jesus was with God. And so we start getting this very, for me, ultra-complicated, but I just have to take it as is, thinking of the Trinity, that God is one in three persons. And as the hymn says, blessed Trinity. And we get the two of the three parts of the Trinity. God who is one, is Father and Son. Same essence, together. Suddenly we start seeing there's a community in heaven. That God is community. Which is why the church is a reflection of that community. Why it's so important to be in community. Because God is in community. God is a communal being. And he's created communal beings. That's, that's why it's not good for us to be on our own. It's good to be together in community. God and Jesus there together. And then as I've said, he was God. He is God. So he's eternal. He's part of the Trinity, and he is God. And it's sometimes when we overemphasize the humanity of Jesus, we forget that actually he is also God. And we'll just touch on that in a moment. And then it says this, The word gave life to everything, verse 4, that was created and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. And so when we look at creation, it's our Lord Jesus Christ who created everything. He's the creator of the world. And that's one reason John talks about him as the word, because it says God spoke. God spoke. So there's, John's taking us back to Genesis. He's taking us back to those beginning times and he's put in this great theology of the Trinity, of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit and using words that encapsulate them. The word, God spoke. Jesus created. Remarkable, remarkable. And it's so important because if Jesus created it, he can solve it. You know, sometimes when you get something that's broken, you go back to the source. <laughs> Who made it? They can sometimes put it together. Sometimes they can't. But our Jesus can. Our Jesus can. That's why he could say to the wind and the storm when he's in a boat, peace be on you. That's why John could pray for the sick 
Because Jesus created people perfect and whole. And he could say, in the name of Jesus, behold, walk. Because Jesus created them. Jesus brings them back to wholeness. Our God. Our Lord Jesus Christ. And him was light and life. All the way through John's Gospel, we will see life and light will keep coming up because God wants us to have life and life abundantly. Life fulfilling. He's the light of the world. He's the creator of the world. And so these themes will come up time and time again. And then I talk about the big picture. I talk about Boston. <laughs> I talk about North Manchester. And then I actually say that is ridiculously small compared with eternity. <laughs> it's just my little human understanding <laughs> application segue into it. That, that comes down to a couple going into a big city like Boston and opening their home goes to a couple going into Denton that we're going to pray for. goes to a single or a couple going into North Manchester and thinking, let's get a network. And it, So you get the big and then the small. And uh, basically says in John verse 14, so the word became human and made his home amongst us. I think the message says the word became flesh and walked into our neighbourhood or something like that. It it's puts it very, very kind of earthly. I was converted in a Methodist church. It's interesting going to the Methodist Central Hall and praying. And um, funny, I said to the Methodist minister, this is a by the side, I said, you know my favourite hymn, 371 in the old Methodist hymn, and can it be that I should go in? He said, he's sure. So he found me a hymn book, and I looked, it wasn't there. I said, no, an old hymn book. So we've got an old hymn book, 371, and can it be? I said, that's what I used to use when I was a Methodist minister. Anyway, that's by the way. But Charles Wesley, which is why I wanted to bring this in, so that's what just made me go. See, when they were seeing minors converted, and the poorest of the poor, the uneducated converted, how do they get into John's Gospel? How do you, you know, I'm thinking, I'm not brilliantly educated. I didn't go to university or anything. Like that. I was too thick to learn a following language. So, you know, I'm, I'm pretty way down the food chain when it comes to education. But when you've had no education and you've had no, how do you do, how do you get some of these great themes? Well, you know what they did? They wrote fantastic hymns. Fantastic hymns. And that's been true all over the centuries that great hymn writers who are theologically good have put these great themes. And so Charles Wesley tried to encapsulate what I'm saying for a minor, an uneducated minor, to understand. Because he'd seen his minors with tears coming down their faces as they came out of the pits, and the power of God got hold of them as they're getting into the light. The light of God is on them. 
And thousands are coming into the kingdom and they know nothing about the eternity and the humanity of our risen Lord Jesus Christ. And so he says, he wrote them a song that they could sing every week. It says this, Let earth and heaven combine, angels and men agree, to praise in song divine the incarnate deity. The incarnate, the baby, the man, Christ Jesus. Deity, the God, creator of the world. And then he says this. He laid, that is Jesus, his glory by. He wrapped himself in clay, unmarked by human eye, in latent Godhead lay. Infant of days, he came and bore the mild Emmanuel's name. And just before that, he says this, Our God contracted to a span incomprehensibly made man. What a wonderful hymn. Our God, the deity, contracted. It's like, you can, you can imagine it, can't you? From et- eternities contracting, contracting, contracting to a span incomprehensibly, absolutely, absolutely incomprehensibly made a man. What a hymn. What a hymn. He laid his glory by. He wrapped himself in clay. That's Wesley putting this theology <laughs> into something that I can just about get my head around. <laughs> incomprehensibly, incomprehensibly made man. Verse 14 there. So the word, the word, deity, became human and made his home amongst us. And John then could say, I touched him. I walked with him. He wrote a letter. One of his first things he said was, I was so close to him. I was so close to him. You know what? For a while he had Jesus' mum staying with him. When Jesus died, he said, look after her, please. This John, he knew the humanity of Jesus. He knew Jesus' brothers and his sister and his parents. Our God, contracting to a span, (laughs) incomprehensibly made man. The big and the small. And we need both. We need both. We need the power and the authority and the glory of the eternal one for this city to be changed, for lives to be changed. We need the humanity, the mercy, the love of our Lord Jesus Christ who touched the leper, who spoke to the poorest, 
who talked to a lady full of demons, cast them out, who became one of his most faithful followers, gave her the words for the apostles, I'm risen from the dead. <laughs> Peace be with you, don't fear. And even tell Peter, who denied me. The humanity of Jesus, who comes alongside us, who understands us, our great high priest, who understands how it is to live in a desperately difficult, painful, broken world. And then John says this, and this is what I finish with. He came to the world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave them the right. He gave them the right to become children of God. <laughs> We've got the right to be God's children. Isn't that good news? And that's what we're praying for. We want to see sons and daughters of Jesus, of King Jesus, brothers and sisters, coming to faith. You see, thousands came to faith in Jerusalem. And then eventually, even the priests who had voted to kill him gave their lives to the mercy and love and grace of Jesus who died for their sins. Thanks for listening. To explore this sermon or learn more about our church, please navigate to the links provided in this podcast description. From there, you can connect with us on social media and you're welcome to check out the music links featured in this episode from our very own musicians. You can also discover current events and information about where we meet on Sundays and various groups or community projects that you can join in with. If you're interested in knowing more about us or wish to join us for one of our meetings, please reach out. Simply drop us an email at hello at ccm.org.uk We look forward to connecting with you.